Hello! Welcome to the Arts and Learning Conservatory monthly masterclass series, where we invite industry professionals to share their knowledge and make artistic learning more accessible. If you'd like to learn more or sign up to join our next masterclass live, please visit us at artsandlearning.org. Everybody. Welcome to the Arts and Learning Masterclass. My name is Edwin Lovell. I am the Music Education Director for Arts and Learning. Today with us is Corbin Jock. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> and Corbin is from the band Greer. Today we're going to talk about, or Corbin's going to talk about, finding your place in music. Um, and I wanted to start off with, with Corbin in terms of your beginnings in music. Where did you start off with your musical journey. I know you went to Waldorf School of Orange County, which is also where I, where I teach. Um, is that where you started your musical journey? Yeah, so I started in Waldorf at around pre-K. I was there for pre-K for one year and I did kindergarten for one year. And I think, I don't remember if it's kindergarten where they make you start singing, but it's around kindergarten yes. or first grade, right? And yes. they, they, they force you for a good reason to start singing, whether you can or not, tone deaf or not, or, you know, it doesn't matter. They, 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 <laughs> they encourage that activity and it sort of becomes a group thing, right? Because of that small class format, it's kind of great. It's a very inclusive thing because, you know, you're not judged on skill, but you're encouraged to nurture that and nurture music from the very beginning. And as I'd imagine, not that I know anything about psychology, but um, I'd imagine that had a really profound effect on me and all of us in, in that class and, and all who went to that school because it's a really special thing to start with music that young, especially the voice, because it's, a very, it's very connected to you. It's not a sort of foreign object that you have to you know, learn too much about. It's much more intuitive, I think, especially for kids. Um, right, because the, the voice is, is a natural instrument that everybody everybody can use as long as you know, you have the power of, of vocalization, right? So yes, yeah, that is very that is a good point that, that they do teach they do have the kids do singing at the at a very very early age. No judgment, no anything. If you sound bad, you sound good to them, right? Yeah. So I, did that play uh, an effect on you as a little kid? Oh, de definitely, because I think your ear and you realize this later and i guess is is sort of you develop your ear early on when you start with singing especially because there's something about that being able to recognize a pitch and then also being able to vocalize it is really special because it's i think it's it's one thing to play an instrument but i, I it it was an observation i learned when there was another kid in my class who played guitar but the difference between him and me is that he sort of took lessons and his teacher just sort of taught him things in a way that he didn't understand what he was doing or how it was supposed to sound, but he was more copying or emulating his teacher. But he, he didn't have that same, um, he, he joined later in Waldorf, so he didn't have that fundamental upbringing of singing and so what I noticed is that most kids of us who are really musically inclined because even though everyone was involved I think early on you started to tell people who were really interested in it because I think that's another important thing about seeing the early on and 
and singing was that we, some of us who were really enjoying it started to have an interest, which is really, really powerful when you're young, because I think, I mean, I just graduated high school and I know probably any friend I made is still figuring out what they want to do with their lives. And it's great to develop an early interest because it's unfortunate to have no interest by the time you're 18, because then it makes things difficult on the next steps. <laughs> not that it's not acceptable. It's perfectly okay to figure all that out whenever, but I think it makes a, gives me a, an advantage, um, whether fair or not. <laughs> um, Definitely. And, and do you, so you started off singing, you know, in pre-K and first grade. Then mm. when did you start with an instrument? I think it was recorders and flutes. They had the first flutes. I don't know if they were recorders. I think they were sort of this, a more archaic form of the flute, sort of just like a, a stick hollowed out with holes. <laughs> Obviously much more delicate and full of probably tradition that I didn't understand at the time. But... Mm -hmm. I wouldn't know the name of that type of flute. So flute is the best I can do to say what it was. But then it was recorders. And, and then we got really into recorders. And I think before fourth grade, you know, we were working on uh, different types of recorders, like alto recorder, bass recorder, tenor recorder, and, you know, having a real like recorder ensemble, which was fun. I didn't love the recorder, but I'm grateful for it because it was, it was nice to have an instrument. It was nice to feel what it was like to have this object that produces a sound. And if you, recorder is nice because it's like a piano, it's easy to produce a good sound. It's not, it's hard to make something sound bad on a recorder. You, I guess not hard, but there are people who probably could make a <laughs> recorder sound unpleasant, but it is easier to just get a real sound out of and I think that's why in fourth grade when they did stringed instruments they were saying okay you're ready for this now because this is going to be much more difficult to produce a nice sound out of you had to have a certain level of maturity at that point or else it was going to be much more of a challenge right and sp speaking of, of stringed instruments is that where in fourth grade is that where you essentially veered off to actual you know quote-unquote real instruments, I guess? <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. I, I remember that day so well of trying out the instruments. Miss Wondercheck had brought all the instruments, just one of each for everyone to try and see what they gravitated towards. And I remember looking at a violin and being like, that thing is tiny. I have these massive hands. <laughs> <laughs> and it's hilarious because, you know, in retrospect, there are tons of world-class violinists with massive hands. <laughs> yes. It never, never stopped them. But, you know, my childlike brain was like, I have big hands. I'm a big boy. I need a big, <laughs> I need a big instrument. Oh, this sounds so stupid. But um, I looked at the cello and when I sat down with it, it was, a, it was a pretty profound experience. It felt right versus holding a violin or viola felt wrong. Viola was my second choice just because my brother played viola he wasn't very good, but I thought the instrument felt larger than the violin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I think it felt more comfortable as well. But the cello really felt, I loved the sound the cello produced, that thick, wide tone. It was definitely more pleasant to my ear than the violin. Um, so I think I was really drawn to the cello. And that was, 
that was a big moment for me because for for at least two or three years I was really obsessed with the cello. I loved it a lot. Really, and, it's interesting yeah. you say that that that, that you were uh, that you liked the, the sound of the cello and that you had mentioned that you started with singing in in pre K and first grade because the cello is. I guess the most like a the human voice where it has that really high range and it has that beautiful low lower range and it has, yeah I guess the, the whole range of the instrument is a beautiful sounding instrument very and it's, true you know just like a, a human voice that has that really high range or the you know it could have the low range the mid range um, they're very similar in terms of how how they sound together um, now you playing cello the uh, and you say you were pretty much obsessed obsessed with playing cello. Now, did that obsession was that a good obsession or a, a bad obsession? No, it was really beneficial because I, I didn't I wasn't a very academic student in a sense that I from from somehow from a young age I developed the idea that school was not to be cared about, and I don't know how that happened. Um, I maybe I learned it from my brother or something, <laughs> um, but I. I, I was really not interested in a lot of things at school. Waldorf is a is a great place because I was probably as interested as possible just because they do so much to nurture so many parts are, that are imperative, I think, in childhood. Um, and so I think I was as interested as anyone could be for not being interested in school. <laughs> but that makes little sense. But um, I think having the cello it was something to dedicate myself to and something to spend hours of my day that, you know, unfortunately for my generation was spent a lot on television, even, Mm -hmm. you know, no phones. I was lucky to have parents who were resistant to having a phone or an iPod or something like that (laughs) for a while. They gave in eventually. Um, But um, the cello took away, you know, TV time and things that I, you know, you learn now that, you can't spend all your time doing it's not good for you and so it was the first thing to draw all my attention for a couple of hours you know working my way up to that it started with just doing the bare minimum 30 minutes and then it became competitive because then you see other students practice sheets like we had those sheets it was like how many hours and this week have you been practicing and they you know she signs off on it and um (laughs) and um I think, yeah, I think that time and that dedication and focus was really important, especially because growing up with a TV and having that was sort of something to already take away my focus and my imagination in a sense and things that involved things that are important in childhood. And so I think the cello was like veering me away from becoming a you know someone who just sat who went to school and then went home sat in front of the television until I fell asleep um so that's, that was that's interesting because I when I was growing up in in middle school I started playing trumpet um mm-hmm. and I had the same thing where instead of watching tv I would go practice my instrument and yeah I, right and, and, instead of instead of just playing video games I would go practice my instrument and that's kind of how I de- started developing um patience because it's it's really frustrating when you're learning an instrument and you're not, oh, it's not yeah. going exactly how you want it to go right so you got to develop patience um you got to develop or you start to develop 
essentially making up your own plans of, of how you're going to practice. Or even if you don't have a oh, plan, yeah. you start to, you, you notice that you are making those improvements. Um, and let's fast forward now. So now with the band Greer, what, what is it that you do in the band? Um, well, I guess I was primarily an addition as, I was an additional guitarist starting out because we had had another member who's no longer in the band. Um, and he was supposedly the rhythm guitarist, but also our singer played guitar. So we had three guitars for a while, which can sound great in a band. We didn't sound great. Um, <laughs> but it can work, you know, if, if three people know how to play guitar. But w one of them did, and I guess it was kind of me. <laughs> um, that's, that's probably too pretentious to say. But... Um, I I um I was started as a guitar player, but I think at the time I was starting gradually to lose interest in the guitar, but be joining Greer was sort of reinvigorated that passion temporarily. And I was excited. I was I was really enjoying the songs and I was really enjoying writing sort of essentially, you know, little arrangements. I I, and from the very beginning, I started to, you know, experiment with other instruments. And I, um, because I think when I was in, I want to say fifth or sixth grade, I took piano lessons for a couple of months. I ended up quitting because I just couldn't stay focused. It was kind of a weird period way back then. I was trying a bunch of different instruments and not really liking anything, <laughs> um, but Flash forward, I, when I came to start working with Greer, I um, was, again, interested in keyboard-related and instruments. And so I started, I started really just, you know, trying. I, I think I was, I'm, I was, I'm really into nerdy, the nerdy side of music, and I love theory and, and stuff like that. So looking at the piano, regardless of whether I could play it, I understood the piano. So I was just like, I'm going to will my fingers to do what I want. And eventually, you know, I sucked, but I could sort of with practice, I could play what I heard. I could play the arrangement ideas that I had. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, we subtly added in more instruments. And so I decided to take on the challenge of learning more instruments and taking them more seriously. So I, I, um, really started practicing a lot. I started practicing the piano. <laughs> I had to leave the guitar behind, but <laughs> I, I started practicing the piano a lot and I've, I've been practicing the drums a lot. And um, I, I just started practicing other instruments to sort of see where what I could also learn from those instruments and also just because I was at odds with the guitar and mm -hmm. I, I slowly became more at odds with the guitar. And I think the sort of um, pivotal moment was during the beginning of COVID, I just was like, I don't want to play guitar anymore. And I completely dropped it. I stopped playing. I didn't play at all. Wow. I just couldn't do it anymore. I, I began to realize I liked nothing about the instrument, <laughs> which was dramatic and unfair. But I, at the time, I think it was just because when I, during that time before that, it was sort of becoming this thing where I was applying for colleges and applying for guitar, and I realized that 
there was just this academic idea of the guitar is just something that I'm so uninterested in because it's just become this, it's become this weird thing of it's either classical or jazz with the instrument in, in a college sense. And I decided that's silly. There's why should I have to be classical or jazz? <laughs> why can't I make it in? And there are other facets. I mean, I'm just, generalizing but there was the main ones where you had to know something about jazz or you had to be completely in the other world mm-hmm. of classical guitar and i was interested in neither really i wasn't interested in being a classical guitarist but well one i was not talented enough to be a classical guitarist that takes a lot of training <laughs> um yes. it's a very difficult style of playing in it um and i wasn't i was taking all these lessons and learning jazz guitar but i didn't like jazz guitar i love jazz I love jazz. I just, I mean, I love some West Montgomery, but I mean, I, I love jazz, but guitar jazz, like fusion and all the things <laughs> that they were trying to get me to learn. I was not interested in any of that. And I, I felt bad because I loved the teachers I had. They were just wonderful and so impactful in my life, but I just didn't like any of that music. And it was just like, I didn't want to, I didn't want to have to do that. But every audition I did, you know, I was playing standards and I just found myself increasingly getting, it wasn't a bitterness, but it was sort of just like a, I need to ditch this instrument. It's, it's, I just don't know where to go with it. And I don't mm-hmm. like these things. And that sort of was building inside me for a long time. And I realized that playing with Greer, and this is sort of, I guess, how this ties in, is uh, there was just an opportunity for me to be an instrumentalist and not just, and, and look at a guitar or any instrument as a piece of an arrangement. It didn't have to be this, I didn't have to be a guitar player. I could, I could come up with a part and it could be for any instrument, as long as, you know, the timbre is correct and the, you know, its place within the general orchestration makes sense. Obviously there has to be logic to it, but the idea that I was making music not as a guitar player, but as a, as a, just a musician in general, as a, as a composer, as an arranger, because in my heart, I was learning that I wasn't a guitar player. And I never wanted to be, I was a composer, arranger. I loved writing songs. I didn't, I didn't like being a guitar player. <laughs> I, I don't like watching Stevie Ray Bond play. I'm not into that. I, I uh-huh. obviously I don't want to talk down on anyone because they're, you know, genius guitar players out there and and they're amazing and extremely talented the guitar in those kind of pictures the sort of shredding the bending the you know the sort of virtuosity and the out the outrageous what sometimes feels boastful exercising um wasn't for me and i think that turned me away from the guitar because i think i wanted to dive further, not only because I believe that really music is the balance between your intellect and your emotional side, your intuition or whatever, your instinct. It, it's, it really, to me, has always been a balance. It, you have to satisfy both sides. And I think intellectually, the guitar was a very unsatisfying instrument because <laughs> where do you go with technical skill? You become one of those guys that I didn't want to be. <laughs> and so I had to just say, this is not what the guitar means to me. And this is not what music means to me. Music is 
something that is that I don't feel like I, I, I guess I'm getting, I'm probably sounding a little confusing now. I, I just meant to say that I, I, I um, found that I really developed a lot as a musician when I realized that I didn't have to just be a guitar player or, uh, or any just instrumental player because that's, who, that's not who I was. And that was important to figure out. So it sounds like what you're saying is that a musical journey isn't always a straight line. No, not at all. It, it's 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 like I guess it's like any journey really. It's akin to just you know anything. I'm sure there's so many stories that are synonymous to that in in, in music, mm-hmm. but I I think um, I think it's about being open minded and also just trusting a little bit of yourself, but also knowing when to bring reality, I guess, into it is if it was unrealistic for me to try and be not a guitar player, if that was all I was good at and it was unrealistic for me to try and be something else, then I would have to trust that. And I would have to, I would have to know, which I felt like I would, I had to trust myself that I would know what I was capable of, but I wasn't afraid of, failing or trying other things and figuring out what I wasn't capable of because I think that's really the great thing about how there's a million options in music is that I I, I always hear that people say that you know it's kind of like the people who are the most successful f- sort of devote their life to one singular thing and it's that that sort of coherence and devotion to that one thing that could lead to success. And I, I don't know if I necessarily believe that. Sometimes I feel like I, for me personally, I treat it just like I have a giant net and I just sort of throw it out there sometimes. And I don't really catch anything sometimes, but sometimes I do and it works out really well. And it's great because I have a lot of interests and they may not always line up, but I think the beauty is that music is one whole thing to me always there are so skills do you oh, believe like on your on this journey essentially that you've been on through you know ever since pre-k all the way till now um on on your musical journey do you take wrong turns you you know you have to make u-turns do you ever regret those wrong turns or those those u-turns per se or do you you know do you learn from those you know like it's like you know you said you played guitar you, you didn't really like playing guitar do you regret spending so much time playing guitar or do you accept the fact that this is what I learned and I'm better for it? Um, no, I don't regret it at all. It's, it's a, it's, it was, I forgot. Someone just told me that something that I, that really resonated true and something that I really believe is that you don't know what's good until you know what's bad essentially sometimes. Right. And when I was doing all those things and learning that I didn't like them, that was so important for me. I had to know that I didn't, like them and I can't and I can't look back and say well if I never heard them then I wouldn't have known (laughs) but it doesn't it doesn't matter now I did hear and I did do those things that I don't like and now I know what I do like and that led me to that in a sense because I I was sort of yeah I was sort of it's not quite failure but I was sort of in the wrong place Mm -hmm. and or hmm wrong place doesn't always even sound right I was just sort of doing something that 
I knew I wasn't going to do forever. And I knew that it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I learned a lot because I learned that. <laughs> I learned right. essentially that that's not what I wanted to do. Um, right. So then the, the people that are, I guess, in, in a rut right now with, with their music or with, essentially with anything, with their writing or with their filming or even just with school, um, it's it's not always just because just because you feel like you're in a rut it might not be a rut it, it might just be something that you're just learning how to cope with how to deal with or you're learning how to make better in a, in a certain sense right yeah that that's a very perfect way of putting it I think I was just talking to my brother and he, and I was confiding in him and he was telling me you have no idea whether you're moving backwards forwards or sideways and I said well the, that's a perfect way of looking at it you think, you know, maybe you're in the wrong place and you're doing the wrong thing. And that means that you're moving backwards, but that's not necessarily true, I guess, right? It could mean that you're just moving sideways, sort of taking a detour, but it doesn't mean that you're not eventually going to move forward. And um, I think, yeah, I thought that was a really wonderful way of looking at it. Yeah, it is. Now let's go on to your band, the band Greer. Um, how, many, how many members are in the band? Uh, there's four of us. Um, myself and a bassist also songwriter i may say everyone is a songwriter because that's kind of how we work we all sort of it's a very collaborative process but but essentially i'll list the instrument and i'll just just know that everyone also writes songs okay um so then our drummer and then we have a vocalist and he also plays rhythm guitar now um and then yeah I listed myself. <laughs> um, so then, when, when did the band essentially start off, and or you know, when when you guys started off, what what year was that? Um, I think it was the end of 2018, I believe. Um, I think, yeah. Well, at least when I joined, I believe that they had been playing. The three of them had been playing together for this. Excuse me. Um, for at least, I, I want to say this a year before that, just casually, okay. mm-hmm. it could have been way less time. I, I, I st- there's still things I sometimes feel like I don't know. <laughs> um, but um, when I essentially joined the band was in, um, I think it was September of 2018. And okay. it, was, it was because we had a gig. And um, my other band that the bassist, of Greer and I are, were also in at the time, we're playing as well. Um, it was for their high school homecoming. <laughs> that, wow. was our, that was our first show. Nice, cool, yeah. cool first gig, huh? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was definitely a first gig, that's for sure. And I, I loved living that experience twice because I had lived it once with my other band and then I lived it again that night and it was it's a special moment. So, so, so then on, on this, you know, on this journey that you have, that you had with Greer, that you still have with Greer, show uh, what what was that first rehearsal like with with the band? I um, I really really from the first rehearsal, I really I really connected with everything. It was Were they sort your of friends already. Did you already know everybody? No, I, I see the bassist. He's a really like a lifelong friend and like family to me. Um, he and I had been in this other band for years since I was in eighth grade. Um, and he brought me in as originally as a substitute. 
So he was the only person I knew. I didn't know the vocalist, the other guitar player, um, and the drummer. I, I didn't know any of them, um, which was they. I from from the very first practice, they were. I knew that they were sort of special people because they were like no one I had ever met before, um, and so I think that was. It was in intimidating at first, um, but it, it became, you know, something obviously much, much more. But um, from the very first rehearsal, it was definitely, it just felt like it clicked. Mm. It was, it was a really interesting feeling because I could tell that they hadn't been a band for very long. I couldn't play their instruments very well. And I had never, our vocalist, he has a very, he's really a singer, um, I feel like there's a difference between a vocalist and a singer. Like I think of like, oh, this is a terrible example. Like Lou Reed or someone like that is like a vocalist. <laughs> he can't technically sing. He's, you know, right. But you know, you have like, uh, uh, who's who's a good example? Um, you have like Anita Day or like, I don't know. I guess. No, this person counts. Nina Simone or someone like that. They can sing. They're they're singers. They could really sing. Um, and our singer Josiah, he can really sing, which is surprising to find, especially in um, a band like ours, because you have a lot of vocalists in our genre of music, but you don't have a lot of singers. And so that was one of the first things I noticed in rehearsal. I was like, "Oh wow, he can sing. That's crazy. I had never heard someone." in that style of music sing and have such a powerful and beautiful sounding voice. And that was really, that was really great. But then I noticed the songs as well. I, I noticed it because a lot of those songs that we first rehearsed were songs that, I mean, the, I think the first song we played was the song that's uh, our most popular on Spotify uh, called song for me. And, um, uh, song is not dying um anytime soon um <laughs> and um i noticed that this was not like any other band because you know when you're playing locally with local people you kind of don't have high expectations <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> because essentially i guess they could just be any other local band. <laughs> it, feel, it feels like a garage band, right? Or so, something like that. Yeah. And a bench, you know, how everyone was playing their instruments. I didn't, I, I think at the time I didn't have crazy expectations, but I wasn't judging them. It was sort of just like, I was there to do my job and have fun and hopefully get to know everyone. And, um, and, but I did notice that the songs were, I, I liked them a lot and I was actually really surprised because I had never met any of these people. Um, they could have just, they could have been a, a, any other Costa Mesa local band. And I really enjoyed the songs and that was great. And from the first time rehearsing those songs, it was, it was, um, I guess it was sort of a cliche meant to be moment when um, <laughs> my ear was telling me, oh, this is what you should play. And then it sounded really okay. It sounded, it sounded okay. And it worked together. And um, that was a really, that was a really great moment. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Now you mentioned earlier that the, 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 
he's a singer and that's kind of unusual in your genre of music. Now, what genre of music would you classify Greer as? Oh, no. <laughs> um, that's a question that I always hate asking because <laughs> everybody's always like, I, you know, I don't really know the real answer to that because all bands are, you know, there's no band just falls in exactly in one specific category unless it's this mass produced, you know, <laughs> group or whatever. Yeah. But what, what is the closest that, that I guess Greer is? What do you try to emulate, essentially? Uh, I want to say something really lame like rock because I feel like that's the best I can do. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that's not fair either. Um, or it's, it's a tough thing, especially saying to associate with because nowadays there's a lot of things that you could call our band that we don't want in a certain you could lump us in a certain genre that we don't want to be associated with <laughs> um because we're not really enjoying the music that's coming out of that genre i guess um but it would be fair it would be probably most fair to call us an indie rock band okay <laughs> um but like, um like i but, said it's all it's always a tough question to ask somebody what genre of music do you play because we don't as musicians we don't really think in genres right we just think no in, not at all you just think in music right yeah it's you very, think in, this very is this true. is what i like to do is that how you guys are too is that you don't think of i'm gonna write in this genre we it's we're gonna write whatever we feel sounds good to us completely i i think i think the idea of people who want that much control over there of the outcome of their art if you can call music art um i think it's kind of strange to be that self-aware and be like well i'm gonna produce this kind of song in this <laughs> genre actually this sub-genre of this genre <laughs> i think it's i think it's i think it can be strange but there are people that do that and are very successful at it there are people that target a certain sound mm -hmm. associated with a genre but i think I, my approach has always been the opposite of that just whatever comes as long as it's good and I think it's good and I'm trying to write good music, then I'm happy with it. And I, I don't really, I don't really know. I also really don't know enough about genres to be like, Oh, this is this genre. I always think it's, I thought it was always hilarious when I, I would watch all these jazz documentaries and everyone would say, we didn't call it jazz. Who did? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the funniest thing to be like, well, that's how genres work. Some, you know, music critic or musicologist will go, brand something this or based off of this and then that starts the genre i right. guess and it's especially kinda... especially with a, a lot of genres the the terms that they give them they're usually not positive terms the word no. jazz wasn't a positive thing the mm -hmm. word rock and roll you know th those weren't positive <laughs> words right? yeah so so yeah genres is a weird thing genre is always going to keep be fluid and you, who knows? You could be creating your own genre right now. There's a band right now called Snarky Puppy. Yeah, um, I've heard of them. Yeah, and it's tough to even say what specific genre this group is because you, they borrow so much from different, from different styles and different times in music, um, especially with you being you know knowing music theory. Um, not too many groups out there have somebody that knows music theory or that has actually had classical training in, in their instruments. Do you believe that that has helped your group or is, are there any other musicians in your group that also is classically trained or know, knows music theory? Um, 
No, I think I'm the only one. And I, I think it does help a lot. It especially helps in the studio because when you work with people professionally like that, they, they sort of speak that language to a degree too. And I, I, I would never, you know, I mean, to some extent, I always think, you know, you should, you should, everyone should learn. If you're going to be a musician, you should probably learn some theory. Even, even if you think, oh, it's not useful or whatever your, you know, preconception of it is, I think everyone should really learn it, but you know, you can't, can't force people to learn it. And um, I think it's really helpful, but it's also funny for me because I'm actually just genuinely interested in it. <laughs> I actually just really like it. And so it's kind of, it's kind of like a, a, a good thing in that sense is that I, I'm not just learning it to sort of, I, I don't know, to sort of ha to have an advantage. Mm -hmm. it, it, it just happened to naturally be advantageous for me um, because I, I really, I really am into it, which is so, it's so nerdy. But so, I, so when you say that you're into, into music theory, do you, do you mean that you sit there and try to figure out, write out figured bass or that, that you're trying to figure out uh, how this composition is or, or what, what do you mean? Um, I use it in all different facets of music theory. Um, I, I haven't done figured bass since high school, but, um, and same with like counterpoint and stuff like that. <laughs> But I do use it in, in, in a term of like, hmm, I think the most useful act application of it right now in my, in, at least in like recording and stuff is, is knowing voicings, um, knowing how to transcribe things is occasionally useful for, for string arrangements or just ideas for me has been really helpful to notate things is, is really helpful. And, yeah, um, that, I believe that's really important. Uh, there's a lot of groups out there that don't know how to read music. Yeah. Um, and it's super <laughs> helpful if the whole band knows how to at least read some type of music because you can just write something out and say, here it is. This is you know what we're going to practice. Does your band, you know, do you work that way or do you work in terms of we're just going to, I'm going to play something, you're going to try to copy me or or how does your career work? Um, hmm. I guess, yeah, we don't really have a need for everyone to know how to read music because it's sort of, um, I guess, um, I feel like I'm giving away our secrets. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I guess in, in sort of not, um, I mean, generally our music is, uh, is simple with, you know, minor, not, I guess it, it would be unfair to say anything that we do is complex, but... Mm -hmm. I guess if you can put complexity, oh my gosh, I said that in a weird way, complexity <laughs> on a relative scale, um, sometimes we, we're a little bit sneaky <laughs> um, when it comes to at least more of our, our, our newer music. Um, we're, we're getting a little bit sneakier just because, you know, as you learn to, as your tastes change and your ear expands, you know, and maybe you attract towards certain dissonances, it becomes easier for you to incorporate that naturally. But um, yeah, our process is sort of like, it, it's a very much like, I think the, the common thing for, for us is um, on a sort of, um, well, I guess to clarify, do you mean like on a songwriting basis or strictly like a recording? Um, uh, I, I mean, kind of on a songwriting basis and also just on a, 
I'm going to in- I'm going to introduce a new song to the band. Mm. Do you introduce it as here is the sheet music or here is the idea? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's more it's more the idea. We'll play the song. If it's one person bringing a song, we'll we'll play the song for you know the person will sit down and they'll play it through, and then um, I guess um, usually the, the the bass player and I we have. Um, since we we do a lot of the more you know on the harmonic side of things we're we're doing that sort of um you know we're sort of carrying the harmony so mm-hmm. um we're we both have great ears so we don't need to sit down and learn the chords or anything we just sort of know what to play essentially or we you know move around until we figure it out <laughs> <laughs> sort of on the, we yeah so it's sort of so it's more of a, a, a collaborative creative process, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. So we, and I guess the next step from that is after someone's played it and we say whether we like it or not, which, you know, there's a lot of no's as there are sometimes <laughs> yeses. Um, <laughs> we try to, we try to keep, we're, we're getting better at keeping an open mind to just, even if we don't initially like the idea to exploring it to its best capability, because I think we've learned a lot of the times that sometimes there are things you have yet to understand about an idea or you have yet to get used to. So it's, it's sometimes better to just, no matter whether you initially like it or not to just sit with it. If someone is confident in it, if someone believes in it, because it's really powerful for them. And it's also could be, you know, could turn out to be a great thing. I mean, not a great thing, but something that's viable or something. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess it's very much we, you know, we hear the song and we play it all together and it's sort of just improv. Um, you sort of just go at it with an open mind and an open ear and sort of just see where you're, sometimes if you're not getting into it, you just sort of, I, I don't know, my my goal is always to sometimes just, let loose and just do whatever um just sort of have a a sort of blank-minded approach where i pretend like sometimes i don't know how to play my instrument that i'm playing (laughs) and i just sort of flop my hands around till maybe i hit an interval or a note that seems to lead in some sort of sequence Uh. or melodic development um and um or sometimes just i play chords and i sort of vamp off of the chords that helps a lot too that's interesting. So you're kind of just kind of noodling around, seeing seeing what inspires you in, in your head and what you, your brain might catch, right? Yeah, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes it just clicks, and sometimes there's a clear, defined part that arises before mm-hmm. having to do that. But I think as I've really noticed, um, oh, I am just giving away every secret, um, <laughs> but what I've really noticed is the, the every time we go and we make a record and we go and record after you're done and you have to do the next thing, it feels like you're starting over from scratch. Mm-hmm. But the, the thing that's tough is that you start over from scratch, but you're more self-conscious and you, there's, you feel an added pressure to do something better than before, which is always the goal. Uh, whether it's a, at some, it's a good pressure in my mind, always a positive pressure because that's what I want to do. And it, it can only stress you out on, on occasion, but it right. can, it can really stress you out. And so, it, it becomes sometimes more difficult to to do that where you're you feel comfortable 
of just letting it happen. So I've noticed that at least in the last like month, sometimes I'll come to practice and there'll be a new material and I'll just, I'll feel so self-conscious and I'll feel like I'm unable to just allow myself to play anything in a sense, because I think sometimes, I, I don't know, I guess sometimes it's just part of the process as you feel that sort of stuck and you feel insecure suddenly. And um, <laughs> I've noticed that that's been a, a real, a, a little, a thing for me um, a little while ago and, and a little bit recently. And um, I think sometimes doing things like just playing whatever can, can really help with that because it allows you to just not judge at all. Mm -hmm. It allows you to just be playing and completely just, even if nothing comes, it allows you to, yeah, just sort of be open and to just do and not just sit and think because I'm guilty of that 100% of the time is to sit and think before I do anything. So right. <laughs> um, I, I feel like a lot of musicians tend to do that um yeah and, and more more often than not it ends up hindering you know when you, oh, you think, think too much right <laughs> yeah completely um, now now moving on so the so do you guys have a producer or a record a, a label that that you have yeah we're 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 with a label uh called epitaph records um and they're sort of a a larger in, indie label or independent label um that was started by the um, one of the members of Bad Religion named Brett Gurowitz, um, who's a, a wonderful, a really wonderful guy, very, very kind soul. Um, we got to spend, we've gotten to spend some time with him and get to know him. He's a really wonderful person. Um, and, now, uh, for for the people that essentially are thinking of, you know, they're they're in a band, band right now. Would you recommend they try to go for for a label, or it's, you know, recording is so easy nowadays that you can go on Amazon and buy your own re recording mm. software or recording equipment? You know, you buy your own little focus, your little red focus drive. Yeah, your own, I have one. You know, <laughs> exactly right. So, would would you recommend you know somebody try to get a recording label first, or or have their own recording equipment, or or both? Um. I think, well, actually, I'll probably just start by saying both, but I'll probably elaborate more on the side towards the label, but it really depends on your goals and your intentions because there are some people that would argue to death that someone who's making a record in their bedroom sounds just as good as someone in the, I don't know, $300 an hour studio. Um, I disagree because I have a preference to a certain sound and a certain type of re record. That's a completely subjective thing. I, I'm sure that looking at some sort of statistic, if there is one, that the sound quality is probably just as good, if not better, that you could probably emulate that in your bedroom. Um, you know, if you can afford the equipment to do it, <laughs> um, which everyone knows recording equipment is really expensive. Um, Especially when it comes to microphones, and you know, once you get oh into my that, gosh. once you dive into the microphone <laughs> thing, you're just gonna keep buying more and more and try to get that better, bigger microphone, right? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And but it's hilarious because, you know, I feel like I feel like you still in every studio, 
you'll always find an SM57. <laughs> like <laughs> right. you'll never, you'll. <laughs> there we go. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> they're always there. Yeah, I, I feel like, and that's like that's why it's like that's like plus one for the bedroom artists because that microphone is great and it's a it's a hundred dollars. That's it's reasonable for a microphone. Mm-hmm. And while I would never recommend doing vocal takes with it, you can, and bands do it all the time. Um, and, but I think it, so I guess that is why it depends on your intention. And it also depends on your needs because if you need, if your needs are uh, MIDI sequencing and um, I, I don't know, garage band drummer, <laughs> then you can record your record at home if that's all you're looking to do. Because I guess maybe this is a, a really inappropriate term, but I guess that is an aesthetic. <laughs> that is a thing people do and are attracted to. Um, so that's viable if that's what you're looking to do. For us personally, we are not looking for that. Um, we're looking for someone who can support that side of us because we want to make records that emulate the sounds of records that we love and work with people and producers that we look up to and that we, we really respect and that we, we are, you know, more than grateful for those opportunities to have. And um, we're looking for that sort of approach that's what we're looking for. And we couldn't fund that on our own. We, we don't really make any money. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we couldn't do that. Um, so that was why we chose a label. And, and what, what was the process of trying to acquire a label? Well, because... Did you send them an EP? You know, did, you, did you record your own EP or did you record it with someone else and then send them a label? Or how, how did that whole thing work out? We were an unusual case because we had two songs out and they were doing well. Um, And it was surprising and shocking and they're still doing well, those two songs. Excuse me. Um, And that sort of attracted a lot of attention because it kind of came out of nowhere. (laughs) People weren't, maybe not confused, but sort of like, I don't know, here's a very graphic example, sort of like Roadkill and Vultures, I guess, in a (laughs) sense. They were just sort of like, at first it was really large labels that were kind of coming after us because, oh, we're young and we're suddenly up and coming, I suppose, but not quite in the public eye, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. So sort of like the idea for them was probably more like, uh, I'm not going to speak in a negative way. I'll I'll put it in a positive way. Sort of like get them going early and then uh-huh. make it look like and build them up like it was this sort of natural contour, but right. sort of just hop on it early and bring ride stay the gravy along. train. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. And yes. uh, but we sort of caught on to that idea that the bigger labels were interested in our future, but not invested in us now. Mm. And I think that was sort of deterred us from that route because we knew that we wouldn't get the control that we wanted at that point, because 
we were so new, we had nothing to demand. We had two songs. We didn't even have a manager at that point. We were managerless, we had no team, and we couldn't demand from anyone anything because we were in no position to like be like, hey, you know, you should, you should listen <laughs> right. to us. Um, <laughs> right. we, we, you're just a bunch of, you know, young, young kids, essentially, you know, with, with two songs out that's for some reason that's doing really well. And then all of a sudden you're getting, what are you getting calls? You're getting emails. What are you getting messages from these record labels? Yeah, it was, it was emails. And we actually went to, after, it was funny because we went to one meeting and then after that, slowly we started to build the management team. How excited um, and, were you? Um, it was it was really it was really exciting. It was I was still I was still um, in high school. I was a I was a junior in high school, and so it probably it freaks my parents out <laughs> to have their little boy go up to Los Angeles to some big record label and have a meeting <laughs> because it was kind of like like hundred texts of when are you coming home? Are you almost home? Are you? It's, it was a, it was a school night if I remember correctly too. So I almost got in a lot of trouble, um, but um, it was, we were, we couldn't believe it because it was, it was sort of like baffling that that was even a possibility. But I think, you know, by the end of the meeting, that sort of wide eyed look was gone because we started to realize what, what it was, what it was about, really, and that um, this particular label was not actually interested yet in signing us. They were more interested in establishing connections so that when we were on the the increase, then they would take action. Um, but obviously, you know, that's from their perspective, that's probably the right thing to do. We're a wild card. We have two songs <laughs> right. out, yeah. and um, what are you going to do? Trust, you know, resources to someone, some kids from Orange County? No, that's right. You, you can't really blame the record companies for not being fully invested in oh, this com- little group of four kids, right? <laughs> completely. I, I mean, I hold nothing against them. I honestly thought that was probably a smart move on their <laughs> point, um, you know, because I wouldn't have trusted us either. Like, we, how would you know? In meeting us, you probably wouldn't, you know, you, you wouldn't get the impression that we were. Uh, anything i don't know maybe you maybe you get a good impression from us but you maybe not get the impression that we're anything more what we're capable of you know we're, mm-hmm. we're essentially just we were essentially just four kids <laughs> in, high, in high school and you know i i don't i don't know and it's it you know it was but it was a really like nerve-wracking and powerful thing just being like oh wow we had a meeting with this massive label and that was exciting, but also scary. And um, So, so then after you had that meeting, what did you essentially say, okay, we need to get a manager. We need to get this, we need to do this and this and this, or did you just kind of let every, everything just come to you? It, it, it kind of worked out in a way where it just came to us. I, I don't remember the sequence of events necessarily, but sort of a certain person who, who, who had never officially managed a band um, reached out to us by email because he was sort of local um, and he wanted to meet with us. And so we met with him. Uh, I personally remember having, I mean, it was a good first meeting, 
but I remember I sort of messed up. <laughs> I I remember I like I, for a while I was on a real bad luck streak with business meetings and music, where like I'd have people like look at me. Uh, I I don't. Okay, I'll just I'll just tell a couple. Um, but I remember our first meeting. This guy who'd eventually now co-manages us. Um, I remember he told he said this thing out loud, and we were really excited about it. And I started smiling and sort of, I guess, sort of laughing. But I meant it in like a I was just really excited way. Right. I think he took it the wrong way, and he and he looked <laughs> at me and he said, "What?" And I was like, "Oh God, <laughs> what have I done? I messed up the one, you know, the one good thing that's come to us." Right. And, it kind of reminds me of uh, the movie Casino, where Ray Liotta turns to Joe Pesci and he starts laughing, and Joe Pesci's like, "What? You know, do, do I am I am I funny? Am I a clown?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I felt so bad. I felt terrible. I was like, "Oh no, I made a horrible impression." But I think it all worked out okay. I hope maybe he still holds it against me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, he's, he's a wonderful guy. Um, and, um, oh, I had another one where I was this company called, um, uh, Cobalt and we were in a meeting and I was, it was an awkward meeting space because I was sitting behind the person who was talking to us. So I was facing my band. And so it was strange. It was, it was in a little office. And so it was kind of a, you know, not meant for meetings of large uh-huh. amounts of people. And so, and our manager had come along with us at that point. And so I was sitting behind the person talking and I remember making a weird face at one of our, my bandmates and then they started laughing and then she looked behind me. She's like, what's so funny? And I was like, Oh God, I did it again. <laughs> and, um, it was just one of those, I, I had a bunch of those happen to me multiple times. And I think it's because I'm very quiet. So people either think that I'm overly, I don't know if people think this, but I assume sometimes people think I'm judgmental or holding something in that mm-hmm. is, it's usually not true. I'm usually just listening, <laughs> but um, I don't know. You can't stop. I guess that's a, that's a good tip for the people listening is if you're going to have a, a meeting with either record labels or managers or anything, don't, don't, you know, snicker or smirk. <laughs> don't get too excited either. <laughs> right. Or else they might take it the wrong way. So, yeah. <laughs> um, that's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good tip. Now, how, how has the pandemic essentially affected any, everything or if anything for, for Greer? Oh, it's definitely been, there's a lot of positive, but obviously a lot of negative equally. So, um, we couldn't make any money. I, I don't like talking about money, but essentially that was a, a big thing for us because, um, I mean, our, our poor drummer, he's almost 21 years old and he's still living at home because none of us can afford to move out or, or really do much because we 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 financially can't be independent. Um, mm-hmm. because, well, we're, we're lucky to be so privileged to still be able to stay with our parents. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a, a wonderful privilege, but it's still, I think, especially when a lot of kids are going off to college and they're moving away or moving out at this age, it's still a little bit strange to be in that position where you're at home and you're not quite able to, I mean, I know that a lot of people are also in this position regardless of whether they're musicians or not, just because of, of COVID. Um, so I'm not, I hope I'm not trying to make this sound like a great struggle. It was just sort <laughs> of like the impact was um, 
we didn't, we weren't able to earn, and we weren't able to play concerts, which is a, obviously a big deal because I think we we've been on one tour and essentially we've probably now played a total of a little over thirty shows in our entire career, which. Wow. Considering we've almost been a band for th- for three years, that's actually not that much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's it, kind of it's it's a lot to a lot of people, though. Yes, yes, that is that is completely fair. It is a lot of shows in a sense that it's still thirty shows. That is that is especially a during number. a pandemic. Yes, um, um, but we 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 played zero shows during. The pandemic and that was that was tough um for us because that's a big part of being a band is performing whether you like it or not i think me personally i don't always like performing <laughs> <laughs> it makes me you know it makes me nervous and um it's but it can be a lot of fun definitely it's a lot of logistics too yes and it, it's a lot of overthinking and sometimes a lot of disappointment <laughs> um <laughs> You get, you learn, you get wiser about it. But um, um, it, it was, it was a big deal because we were sort of just stuck rehearsing. That's all we could do is rehearse and write songs. And so, oh, yeah, we just did that, and that was tough. We went through a lot of tough periods. We were completely stuck with each other in that sense too, because we were, we were all we could see for a while. We could only see each other as a band. I couldn't see anyone else. I couldn't see my grandparents. I couldn't, I, I could see my parents, um, but, um, I, we were all we had and that was difficult for us because it's, <laughs> it's one thing to be so close and, and family like as friends, but in a sense, it's like a sibling in that sense is that sometimes you fight and sometimes you don't get along and sometimes you don't want to be near your sibling and, um, <laughs> that happens sometimes and that's i think that's sometimes inevitable um sometimes it is preventable but you learn you learn you learn how to work with that and you learn how to prevent little things but we definitely had our moments where it was tough as a band because we were all we had and Mm -hmm. um that's sometimes not always easy we had to face each other in a different way in a way that was more because I guess a life that's always moving sometimes you are your relationship takes on a different perspective when you're always doing something whether it's playing shows or maybe you're not rehearsing as much or maybe um you have your friends and you have a social life or school right you have things moving you're not just stuck in one place with the same people for a whole year. And I think that creates a different perspective and you're faced with different challenges inevitably when your relationship takes on that role, um, because you really have to come face to face with everything. There's no running. Like if you're all, if essentially it's, it's like, those are your people you can only hang out with. So let's say you have a bad day at practice and then, maybe things, things weren't unresolved. Well, then you don't want to go hang out with that person because then you're like, well, I feel bad. I did all these things and I was a jerk or, you know, whatnot. And then you're like, oh, well now I can't go make it better. Cause now they're not going to hang, want to hang out with me. Or, <laughs> right. 
or whatever. Silly feel, little things. I feel like those things happen in pretty much every all, all bands and and <laughs> and how they're dealt with outside of the rehearsal or, or outside of the recording session kind of determines the cohesiveness of, of of the whole group. Now, do you feel like your guys' cohesiveness is, is has gotten stronger or through through this whole pandemic or have have you are you guys you know going bald from tearing your hair out from seeing each other so much (laughs) it's definitely gotten so much stronger um i think there's still i think the one thing we've all noticed and i'm probably being too vulnerable about everyone (laughs) um um but i think the thing we've all noticed is that um it's hard to maintain a friendship and a, a band at the same time it's a difficult thing it's like people, maybe this is inappropriate, but it's like people who work together who are married. It's a tough thing. It's a, it's a different thing. Um, but I think that there are times where we've recently felt ourselves on so much of the same page that it's, it's more powerful than we've, we've ever felt. And I think that's been come as a result of whatever struggle or whatever conflict and as developed into something where we feel like we're really cohesive. And I think at the end of the day, we're not, we never, we always apologize. We're like, we're like little kids in that sense where <laughs> even if it's, it's sort of just like by the end of the, you know, maybe by the the next day, you know, we're always like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Or like making, making up always. Cause we're not really, we're not really bitter people in that sense. And we're not really, um, we're not, we're, we're, we have that bond where we feel like that sort of familial bond where we feel like always, always sort of, it's that sort of thing where something happens and you never stop thinking about it. And then you just want to make it better and apologize. And, (laughs) and and that's just sort of us as people. And um, so I think we're always trying to improve ourselves as persons and trying to improve our relationship as well. And that's, it's difficult to navigate because you're learning new things as, as you're in a band for longer and longer and as different things and obstacles or whether good or bad, just obstacles in general or things come up. It's, it's, it's a whole learning experience and you can't come into it thinking, you know, everything, which sometimes feels like it happens. Sometimes you feel like, (laughs) Oh, everything's great. It's always going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and yeah you and you can't really think like that right there's like you like you said earlier you know music isn't always so clear yeah and life isn't always so clear there's always those u-turns there's always those dead ends that you get to that it you either learn from it or you crumble it's better to learn from it <laughs> than, yes. than, than to crumble <laughs> so our time has flown by um, I have a few more questions for you. Now, this one's kind of more abstract. Um, mm. Through the whole time that you've been in Greer, mm. when has when have you noticed, or try to think of one specific example of when you're like, yeah, this this is awesome. This this <laughs> is I'm I'm super happy right now. Oh wow! Um, I can think of too many, so I'll just pick one of my favorite things always in in Greer is getting to record I, I really love being in the studio I, I I there's just it's like it's one of the most magical things I, I get to experience in my life um is is getting to record 
um, I just, I really, I love recording. <laughs> um, okay. And um, our last time we were in the studio a couple months ago, um, it was just, it was really, it was really special. And I, I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, and um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always cool to see everything kind of come together, right? From all your rehearsals. Yeah. You finally, you finally get into that recording studio and everything's just, not always, but you know, that one time everything's just clicking and you hear it back and it's like, wow, that was us. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm assuming that, that, that feeling is, is, a, is addictive, I guess. Very, very much so. Just like all music is really addictive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that's just another, you know, facet of its addictiveness. Now, um, what advice, I guess, would you give to the, the high schooler or the middle schooler, the, the college student, or just the general person that that's looking to start a band or is in a band right now and they're kind of either in a rut in terms of their, their musical writing or in a rut in terms of not not knowing where what direction to go to go in? You know, what finding their place in music, mm. I guess, you know, the, the, the theme of this master class. What, what advice would you give, give to them, somebody that hasn't essentially found their place in music? Oh, I guess that's, well, that's what I should know best, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, well, the feeling of feeling stuck, it, it really sometimes can depend on context because I guess, mm, no, let me start over. The most... The thing that I've realized is the most, in, sometimes the most important above all is intention. I've realized that a lot of the time with clear intention, you do, but the thing is, is that you're looking for an intention that resonates within every part of you without doubt, without, without, self without judgment, I guess, because the thing is, is that, you know, you hear a lot of people say that people that don't find themselves in the position they want to be in are afraid of failure. And that's a thing for people. Some people are also afraid of success, um, conversely. And some people, some people are, some people are afraid of hard work. <laughs> some people are afraid of putting in the time. They just expect music to be this thing I don't know to to that'll just come, and that's right. not. You hear, you hear a lot of "I wish this" or "I wish that" or "I wish yeah. this happened." Right? There's not so much of "I'm going to work this hard to accomplish this," or "I'm going to do this to accomplish this." It's a lot of "I wish," it co completely. And also, uh, but th this is where intention, I believe, is is really important. Is because I, I think that if you are truly intent on doing something, then you're not thinking about it. You're not wishing you're just doing because you're just sort of, it's sort of like a goal is not a good way to put it either because it's more direct than that. It's more action. It's more tangible intention in a way, because it's sort of like, it is, it is sort of like that one track mind of I'm going to do this. This is my intention. And, and no matter how broad it is, sometimes it's broad. Sometimes it's, it's sometimes it's not specific. And I think that's okay. Sometimes you're, 
your intention can just be, I'm going to pursue music. And you'll figure out the specifics on the way. And that's perfectly mm -hmm. acceptable, right? Because it's okay to just say, I'm going to do music, and then you end up working at a record store. That's okay. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's so, completely okay. Um, that's a per that's a pretty pretty good point that the, the intention is all that really matters. Everything else with with the intention and with the hard work will essentially be resolved, right? It, it's it not my it you might not end up exactly where you intended essentially, but with that intent puts you on a specific path yeah without without an, without the intention there's there's no path completely and and you're just looking to move you're not looking to go to the end right yeah you're, like your brother said yeah you don't know if you're moving forward backwards or sideways but with no intention you're standing still completely. with intention you're at least moving forward backwards or sideways yes exactly and i think that's that's the best that you can do and I, I don't think that there's, I mean, it's hard for me to speak on this because I feel like sometimes it's unfair, but I think when you look down and you look at it, there's no failure when trying to pursue something with that intention because you're right, you can just move backwards. But then again, you can argue that's perspective, I guess. But <laughs> you could just essentially in your perspective move backwards and maybe you're practicing 10 hours a day and you're not getting anywhere, which would be really hard. Um, I would imagine that no one practices 10 hours a day and doesn't get better. I don't think that's how it works, but I'm just right. using some sort of dramatization of to, to think, okay, well, what would happen if I devoted my life to something and I didn't get where, get anywhere. But then again, it's, it's all perspective, right? Because right. <laughs> technically just cause you're not where you want to be is not where you're not somewhere. But um, yeah, I think, I, I, that that's right. It's better to be moving. It's it's better to be doing something because, in a sense, in, like I, when I was going to do this, I, I did a bunch of research and, and I just sort of looked into like the. I think it's like hundreds of jobs that you can have just related to music, and you just think, why does everyone have such a stigma around career in music when there's hundreds of jobs that <laughs> that pay really well? Yeah, you, you always you always hear you know the, the high schooler you ask him what do you want to be you know in, in, uh, when you go to college I want to be a professional musician or and he's like well that they don't make any money this and this and this like who says who <laughs> it's yeah tough. Says who. it's tough Complete. but a lot of things are tough um, why why not go for it why not if you love music and music is an essential part of your life go for it. I, I, I completely agree. I was just talking to a friend who she still doesn't know what to do with her life, but she loves music and she loves singing. And she keeps telling me, music is everything to me. And I said, well, do you spend any time with it? And she says, well, no. And I said, well, are you sure it's everything to you? <laughs> because to me, music is everything to me. And I spend my whole day working on music. So that's the, right. that's sort of the difference. And I, I don't know. I think that that kind of says it all sometimes. And I, and I guess to come back to the, if you're stuck or not and, and stuff like that, I think that, that that's another thing is, is hard work. Um, and music is not, music is not a mystery. Music is not something that just you either have it or you don't. Music is not something, at least in my experience, it's not something that's it's like that. It's not something that works like that. I believe that if you're interested in it and you believe yourself to be someone who's going to pursue something in music, then there's most likely that you're 
going to do that, but you have to know that. And you have to also sort of not be, I guess this is sort of, I don't know, maybe this is not my place to speak philosophically, but I guess the sort of path of least resistance, right? The idea (laughs) that you should go somewhere that doesn't feel like you're swimming up current. (laughs) Like it should, it should at least feel not saying that you're not going to hit a spot where maybe there's a a rock or something. I don't know, a dam, (laughs) but um, to just feel like, because I do believe people know a lot of the times when they're going in the right direction. I think some people ignore it because they learn, they learn not to trust themselves because it, it can be hard because I think that's a, a great thing about Waldorf is we did learn a lot about learning to trust our instincts and our intu- intuitive thoughts. Because I remember watching this interview recently of this artist that I, I'm a really big fan of. And she was talking about how she was just talking about how she's like, well, instinct is the oldest thing we have. It's older than your brain. Your brain was started when you were born. Instinct is something that's ancient. It's before you ever existed, you had instinct you had and i thought that was a really cool thing to think about is the idea is that you should learn to trust yourself more than you think Mm -hmm. because sometimes you have instinct is kind of ancient it's been with human beings since we existed i guess oh that's that's a awesome that's a cool point yeah yeah that's a cool i liked that (laughs) now let's get away from greer and all that stuff what is Corbin doing now? Are you going to school? What What's going on? I am currently not enrolled in any classes. Um, I was supposed to be attending uh, Berkeley College of Music. I deferred for a year because we were supposed to be touring. COVID happened and then my deferment was up. And now that we're going to be touring, <laughs> I had to, <laughs> I had to say no because I didn't, feel like I had the time and I was taking a couple of classes just because there are a couple of schools that have extension programs and online programs and I was enjoying some of that but um, recently we've been just writing a lot of material and doing a lot and I felt like I didn't have time to um, do a class but I've been um, currently doing private lessons in uh, composition um, which has been a lot of fun for me. And, is that um, is that what you want to go to school? You know, learn in, in college or university as composition. Um, I, I would love to if I get the opportunity to <laughs> to go to school <laughs> and 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 study that. Um, whenever that is, whenever I go to school, it would be really wonderful um, to study composition because for me, I figured out that's sort of that to me that is becoming the embodiment of some of my philosophies in music. Um, at least a, it satisfies a lot of what I believe in music. It satisfies for me a lot of that idea of your your emotional side and your intellectual side. To me, in composition, that can be really... Versus songwriting. Songwriting can be very intellectual too, but sometimes it can also be about the opposite of that. It can be about completely shutting off your brain and doing just whatever, you know, cause I, it's, right. it's such a, it, it's supposed to be simple. It's supposed to be not saying all songs, songs, songs are simple, but it's somewhat supposed to be a simple process. And, um, and that's not to say it's easy either, <laughs> um, but, um, <laughs> no, it's not. um, composition to me 
takes the my love of other the sort of structural and more intellectual aspects of music and it melds that with the creator the the idea of someone um who you know um sort of just um Im- imposes an emotion or a, an event in their life into some sort of musical language and it sort of melds those into one world for me and i think i've become really fascinated with that because i think that's what i'm looking for that's what i feel like will fulfill a certain thing for me and so i thought well i would like to study and i need a teacher because i could read all the notational books i want but there's some things i need to just learn from a teacher and um and so i'm currently taking lessons nice all right so our time is essentially up one last question for you mm. um what I guess name one or a couple musical artists or bands or groups that people listening to this podcast right now or watching this video should be listening to right now. Um, okay. I'm just going to think of things I'm listening to right now because that's always easy for me. Um, I am currently in rotation for me is um, meditations by John Coltrane Um the next thing is, um, yeah, it's a Charles Mingus record called Ooh, Cor- nice. called Cornell. It's a live record um, from a later era from him. Um, I think it was the last record he did with Eric Dolphy before Dolphy passed away. It was very sad. Um, it's it's really fascinating. It's sort of a mess. It's sort of a messy record, but um, it's it's really the some of the songs on it never made it to real records. So it's kind of really fascinating. And there's a couple that are so beautiful. But a lot of, a lot of Mingus records are just, especially those live records are, yeah, are so amazing. It's yeah. it you wish that you were there in that room when they were oh. at, you know, at those recording, or I guess at those little jazz clubs that yeah. record these things at. Oh, I know his, his sextet is just amazing. Yeah. I mean, they're just incredible. Every, everyone who plays with him and he, I know he was not the best band leader, but um, <laughs> it's still like his 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 compositions and his skill, obviously, it's just amazing. And I love Eric Dolphy, so it's always great to hear him play. He, um, and then I think I was just listening to Neil Young's Tonight the, Tonight's the Night. Um, I've really grown to love that record. It's so dark and it's so it's so vulnerable as a record and it's it's a painful listen sometimes but in a very good way um and then um i uh it's been uh i've been listening to this john cage piece called the seasons it was a ballet um it's a really beautiful piece um now can you explain in the, as little words as possible to the audience that doesn't know what who john cage is <laughs> what if they were to look up john cage what might they expect um, they would expect 433, which is a bad representation of Mr. Cage. <laughs> um, uh, well, they they would expect to, yeah, to find 433, which if if you see that, don't listen to it because, well, <laughs> you'll find out. It, it, uh, it'll throw them off John Cage, right? Yes. And, well, you can explore the philosophy of it because it's a beautiful philosophy, but just know it wasn't meant for a recording. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Um, Yes, you'll find a man who is either ridiculed or seen as a genius. And um, that's kind of the gist of his life. Um, um, 
but um, I'm personally, he's a huge, huge influence on me. So um, that's nice. my perspective. <laughs> that, is, that is a great list. So Meditations by Coltrane, Cornell by Mingus, uh, Tonight's the Night by Neil Young and John Cage. Which one did you say? Uh, it's called The Seasons. The Seasons by John Cage. All right, so everybody listening now, go go look those that that music that music up that Corbin has recommended. I also would all you know definitely say listen to to those pieces of music. All right, Corbin, it's been an incredible pleasure speaking to you. Um, it's been really fun. This last hour and almost almost hour and a half has flown by. Uh-huh. Um, do you have anything anything else that you want to tell the audience? Um. No, just that I'm very grateful, and I'm I'm sorry if I am was not a very good, um, I guess, um, speaker because I don't do this very. I never do this, um, so just um, apologies for uh, anything that was uh, hopefully not poor, too poorly represented, um, but also just a lot of gratitude. I'm very grateful I got to do this. Um, Coming from me, Corbin, you you did great, and I'm going to tell your eighth grade self that your eighth grade speech was probably great too. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> All right, everybody, this has been Corbin Jocks from the band Greer. Um, thank you, Corbin, for for doing this. Um, I am Edwin Lowell from Arts Learning. Uh, you could find us at artsandlearning.org. You can go on there to find our summer camps and spring camps, uh, just band classes, stream classes, the- our theater. Right now we're doing a production of Once on this Island, uh, which is, if you don't know what that is, go look it up. It is going to be awesome. There's a lot of cool dancing and really cool uh, Afro-Cuban type of uh, music in it. Um, and it's just going to be uh, awesome. There's the ages range from, I think, 11 to 18 or something. So there's a, a nice big range of cast for, for the students. Um, for the people listening, thank you for listening. Everybody, thank you for watching. Corbin, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. And we'll see everyone later on. Bye.